Our scripture reading today comes from John 14, verses 16 to 26. And Jesus said, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, because I live you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading hearing, and understanding of his word. Francis Chan is a well-known pastor, author, and speaker in the Christian church. He's authored a number of books that were read by many, and one of those books was entitled Forgotten God. It's a book about the Holy Spirit. I've attended all kinds of churches during my life. In some charismatic and Pentecostal churches, the Holy Spirit is talked about all the time. Perhaps even too much emphasis is placed on the Holy Spirit. But in other churches that I spent most of my time in, the Holy Spirit is almost never talked about. He becomes the forgotten member of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This past fall, I led a study with the men on the Holy Spirit, and I realized that I haven't talked much about the Holy Spirit during my time here. So it's appropriate that we begin a series on the Holy Spirit this winter. The Trinity is one of the great mysteries of the Christian faith. Jesus refers to the Trinity in the opening verse of our text. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be with you. In you, excuse me. Jesus speaks about God the Father, the Creator, the Almighty God, the one who we were created to be in relationship with. In a Genesis creation's account, God's walked and talked with Adam and Eve in the garden. We're created in the image of God. We were designed to live in a relationship to God. But that relationship was broken because of our disobedience and sin. So Jesus, the Son, came to earth, was born to Mary as we just celebrated the Christmas story. He came to walk amongst us to reveal who God is and to restore our relationship to God through his death and resurrection. He paid the penalty for our sin on the cross so that we could be forgiven and welcomed into a relationship to God once again. And then Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit, who represents the power and presence of God in our lives as we seek to follow Jesus in God. One God who is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Trinity is one of those doctrines that is almost impossible to explain in human terms, but it is clearly referenced by Jesus here and in other places in Scripture. Sometimes people use analogies like it's like the three-leaf clover, three leaves, but one plant. It's like an egg, a shell, yolk, and the white. Or the one I 
sometimes uses, it's like myself, I am one person, but I also am a father, a husband, and a son. But no analogy is ever complete in, 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 in explaining who the Trinity is. We who are finite and limited in our thinking cannot fully comprehend a God who is infinite and eternal. He's beyond our full comprehension. That is where faith comes in. I'm not going to try to explain the Trinity to you here today. No one really can. It's one God, three persons. Today, we're seeking to summarize, to give an overview of who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit does in our lives as followers of Jesus. First, the Holy Spirit is the personal presence of God in the life of a Christ follower. When we begin to think about the Holy Spirit, there are many images that come to mind. We may think of Casper the Friendly Ghost from many years ago, or the modern TV She Ghosts, thinking that the Spirit is this elusive being floating around outside of us, keeping watch over our lives. But most likely we would view it as some kind of impersonal force that acts on behalf of God. We may think of the movie series Star Wars, where the prevailing line that is repeated over and over and over, may the force be with you. There is this impersonal essence that is at the center of life. And all of the Eastern religions take that approach, that our goal in life is to become one with this essence, the core nature, the driving force of the universe. It's an impersonal force. However, in the Bible, God is a personal God. He's pictured as walking and talking with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, that creation. We just celebrated Christmas, the birth of Jesus, who was both born God and man, who was born as a baby, who walked amongst us in this life. The Bible is the record of his life, his teaching, and his ministry amongst us. So Jesus introduced his disciples to the Holy Spirit in the first verses of our text today, saying, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I underline a lot of words in that verse. When Jesus talks about the Spirit, he doesn't use the impersonal pronoun like it, but rather he speaks of the Spirit with the very personal pronouns of him and he. He dwells with us as followers of Jesus. We can know him just like we can know another person. Jesus says that when he leaves us, he would give his disciples another, anyone, and anyone who follows him, another advocate. That word another in Greek means just like, identical to the other person. So the question we must ask is, who is the other advocate? Who is Jesus referring to? He's referring to himself. The disciple John writes in 1 John 2, 1, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. John is saying that Jesus is now in heaven being our lawyer, our advocate, representing us before God. When we violate God's commandments, he is there reminding God that we have been forgiven because he died on the cross and our penalty has been paid. Jesus is telling us that just like he physically walked in this life with his disciples in a close relationship, the Holy Spirit now resides in us and walks with us in a close personal relationship. He is the personal presence of God in our lives. When we follow Jesus, we can know him, and he can know us. The Spirit is a person and has emotions. Paul in Ephesians 4 tells us that we can grieve the Spirit by our wrong words and actions. 
Hebrews 10.29 talks about the Spirit being outraged. In Romans 5, Paul talks about how the Spirit loves us. The Holy Spirit is a person and has emotions. We can know Him because He is God living in us. And then Jesus gets very specific in the words He says next in John 14, verses 18 to 19. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. He is telling his disciples that the Spirit of God, the Spirit is God's personal presence in the life of his followers, just like Jesus was the physical presence of God when he walked on this earth. We can know the Spirit, have a relationship with him. He is the personal presence of God in the life of Jesus' followers. He is God in our midst, in our lives today. Second, the Holy Spirit is the power of God in the life of a Christ follower. Do you see this blower? It produces a powerful wind that blows leaves, papers, and other things. It's battery-powered. If I remove the battery, there's no wind. The battery is the source of power. The same is true of the Spirit. He is the source of God's power in our lives. If we don't know about the Spirit, or don't appreciate His work in our lives, we lose the source of God's power in our lives. Why did I use that example of the wind? In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for spirit is ruach and can be translated as wind, spirit, breath. The spirit is like the wind. We can feel its effects and see its power, but we can't virtually see the wind. Do you remember the powerful winds we experienced the Friday before Christmas? Branches and whole trees were brought down. Cable and power lines were brought down. In Haverhill, we lost power for about six hours and even lost our internet as the cable lines were brought down. We can see the effect of the wind, but we can't see the wind itself. The very first verses of Genesis tells us that the Spirit of God was at work in creation. Job 33, 4 says, The Spirit of God has made me. The breath of the Almighty gives me life. Ruach, the word for spirit, breath, wind. The Spirit is the breath of God. He is the power of God that brings forth life. Elsewhere in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God came upon people to empower them to accomplish God's purposes. The Spirit of God came upon Samson to give him great physical strength to defeat the Philistines. The Spirit of God came upon Gideon, David, and other specific individuals to enable them to lead and accomplish God's purposes and to defeat God's enemies. And then in the New Testament, the Greek word for spirit is pneuma. Similarly translated, wind, spirit, breath. Think about pneuma, pneumatic tools. Pneumatic tools are powered by air, wind, powering them. So Jesus told his disciples just before he returned to heaven to wait in Jerusalem for the coming of the Holy Spirit. Why? The Spirit is the power of God to enable us to live the Christian life. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. The Spirit is the power and presence of God to enable us to live changed lives, to be able to share the good news of, with other people. At Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came upon all of Jesus' followers, Peter got up to preach to the crowds in Jerusalem, and he quoted the prophet Joel from the Old Testament that a time was coming when the Holy Spirit would not just be for certain people as it was in the Old Testament, 
but that the Holy Spirit would be for all people who follow Jesus, bringing the power and presence of God into our lives. And when the Holy Spirit descended on Pentecost, it came as a wind. The Spirit, the breath, the wind of God. That was Pentecost, the beginning of the church. The Spirit is for everyone who follows Jesus. The Spirit is God's power in the life of Jesus' followers. So why don't we experience more of that power? Let's just use the example of a battery in a car for this, for, at this moment. If the battery is disconnected, then there is no power to get the car started. If we don't talk about the Holy Spirit or ignorant of the Spirit's work in our lives, then we don't experience His power in our lives. In a sense, we're disconnected from the Spirit. Sometimes in the older cars, the battery terminals would get corroded and the car wouldn't start. If we're sinning and not living the way God wants us to live, we are grieving the Spirit and we are blocking God's power from working in our lives. And then sometimes in older cars, there could be a loose connection at the battery terminal. The cables not fit tightly, snugly around the, the, the battery post. The car may or may not start. We may or may not get the power to start the car. If we're not seriously connecting to the Spirit day by day, then we will not experience the Spirit's power day by day in our lives. We'll talk more about this as we continue in this series. But we need to know and realize that the Spirit is the power of God in our lives. In our text today, Jesus applies two terms to describe the Spirit. Additionally, he calls the Holy Spirit our advocate and the Spirit of truth. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth to be with you forever. This tells us two last things about the Spirit and its purpose in our lives. Three, the Holy Spirit teaches the truth about God in the life of a Christ follower. Technically, this is not a right statement because the Holy Spirit also opens up the minds of unbelievers to the truth about God and Jesus. But we'll talk about that another time. Our focus here is on why the Holy Spirit is so important to us as Christ followers because as Christ followers, the Holy Spirit lives within us. In our text today from John, Jesus goes on to talk repeatedly about God's commandments. The teaching about God and the scriptures. Listen to what Jesus says. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Jesus is saying that if you know and keep my teaching, I'll reveal myself to you. How? By the Holy Spirit that will be within you. He says essentially the same thing a second time after Judas asked them a question. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Again, Jesus is saying, if you know my teaching, if you know the scriptures and you keep my teaching, you're obedient to my word, I'll make my home with you through the Spirit. In other words, you will know me and I will know you intimately. We'll be living in the same house, sharing life together. You know, you can date a person for years, but you don't really know that person until you live together day in and day out. Jesus is telling us that if we really want to know him, if the Spirit is really going to make him known to us, then we have to know and keep the teaching of Scripture. If we don't know the Word of God, we won't experience his presence and power in our lives. If we don't seek to live by it, we won't know it. And then in the very last verse of our text, Jesus again reinforces the role of the Spirit to teach the truth about God. 
But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. You know, in fact, the Apostle Peter tells us in Second Peter that all Scripture was not authored by men, but by the Holy Spirit who spoke the words of God through them. The Holy Spirit, in many ways, is the author of Scriptures and teaches us how we are to live as Christ followers. Everywhere in John, when Jesus talks about the Spirit in our lives and as Christ followers, he also talks about us knowing and keeping the commandments of God. We won't experience the power of the Spirit unless we're seeking to know and live by the words of God. Reverend Tim Keller, former pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City, makes an interesting comparison about this point. Paul in Ephesians 5.18 tells us, Do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And we'll talk more about this in coming weeks. And then in his letter to the church in Colossae, he writes, Let the message about Christ in all its fullness fill your lives. Colossians 3.16 the comparison Keller makes is that to be filled with the Spirit means that we are to be filled with the knowledge and understanding of the Scripture about Jesus. So if we're not investing time seeking to understand the Scriptures and learn what the Bible has to say, we're not going to experience the full power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. If we're not reading and knowing Scriptures, how can the Holy Spirit bring to our remembrance the things that are written in Scripture? But it's more than just having a knowledge of what Scripture teaches. You know, Sue Ellen baked these brownies for the Living Waters for dessert a week and a half ago. She put in chocolate chips. If you see these close up and know what it is in it, you're going to say it looks absolutely delicious. And, and when the people saw it and ate it, they wanted more and more of the brownies. So I froze a couple to save it for today. But seeing that and hearing about that and what this brownie is, it's not the same as tasting it. You can only really appreciate how sweet and delicious the brownie is by tasting it. That is the difference between the objective and subjective knowledge of the Word of God. We can know what the Bible teaches, but the Spirit of God is given to us so that we would experience the truth that the Bible teaches. We can know that the Bible teaches us that God loves us, but it is the role of the Holy Spirit to help us experience what it means to be loved by God. Do you understand the difference? Have you ever heard someone say, or maybe you have heard it said, yeah, I know God loves me, but there's no sense that that person or you have really experienced in a way that makes it feel very real. Have you ever been there? You know, I had wonderful parents. Objectively, I knew they loved me. They demonstrated their love by how they provided for me and my sister. Our needs were well taken care of. They created a stable and safe home for us to live in and grow up in. I'm eternally grateful for that because so many people today never have that. But they were not expressive of their love in a way that I felt it. I don't remember them ever hugging me or telling me that they loved me. So on one level, I knew they objectively loved me, but on another level, I never subjectively, emotionally felt that love. It took me a good number of years to come to understand that as an adult. And that is why the Holy Spirit is given to us by God. At the objective level, we have to know that the Word of God teaches. But it's the Spirit's job to take that knowledge and make it so real in our lives that we feel it in the deepest places of our lives. So Paul records this incredibly powerful prayer 
that Jesus prays for his followers in Ephesus. And in reality, he prays for all the churches and people he led to faith. He prays this way. Listen, I ask the Father in his great glory to give you the power to be strong inwardly through his spirit. I pray that Christ will live in your hearts by faith and that your life will be strong in love and built on love. And I will pray that you and all of God's holy people will have the power to understand the greatness of Christ's love, how wide and how long and how high and how deep that love is. Christ's love is greater than anyone can ever know. But I pray that you will be able to know that love. Then you can be filled with the fullness of God. To be filled with the Spirit is to be filled with the understanding of the love of God. To be filled with the fullness of God. Do you understand what Paul is praying there? He is praying that the Holy Spirit would make the truth about God so real in our lives that we would understand and feel it in the deepest places of our hearts and lives that he loves us. And the experience of that love would become the motivation to continue to learn more about God and to obey and to serve him more completely. Is that how you pray for others, for for yourself? That the Spirit would make God love real in your lives, in our lives? First, the Holy Spirit is the personal presence of God in the life of a Christ follower. Second, the Holy Spirit is the power of God in the life of a Christ follower. Third, the Holy Spirit teaches the truth about God in the life of a Christ follower. Fourth, and finally, the Holy Spirit defends us against the lies that undermine our life as a Christ follower. And that brings us back to our first verse, and I will ask the Father and he'll give you another advocate to be with you forever. You know, you look at the different translations, you'll see a number of different words used instead of advocate. Sometimes translated as helper, counselor, companion, comforter, in the original King James Version. Comforter is probably the least useful word today because we think of a comforter as a quilt. The Holy Spirit is much more than a quilt that keeps us warm. When a Greek word is translated in so many different ways, it means there is no one English word that adequately translates it into English. The Greek root is parakleo. It means one who is called alongside of another. Probably the best translation is advocate or lawyer. And isn't that what a lawyer does? He comes alongside of another person to defend them against various accusations made and brought against them. The Holy Spirit defends us against the enemies and lies in our heart and mind that would undermine our faith in Jesus. Have you ever said to yourself, how could I be so stupid or do what I just did? I can't be a very good Christian. God can't possibly love me when I do what I just did. There's no way that God could possibly care about me if he knows what I really think and feel. We doubt God's work in our lives. We doubt our faith. We doubt that we are forgiven. We doubt that God really loves us. We can be really hard on ourselves, accusing ourselves and belittling ourselves. And then there is Satan, who is always seeking to undermine and cause us to doubt our faith in Jesus. In Revelation 12.10, Satan is called the accuser of Jesus' followers. He accuses us before God, and he accuses us in our hearts and minds. Before God, he is saying that we are not a very good Christian. Look at what we said or did. And earlier we say that Jesus is our lawyer before God, reminding us that we've been forgiven because of what Jesus did at the cross. Peter describes Satan this way. 
Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking for someone to devour. In our hearts and minds, he accuses us and causes us to question our faith. What Jesus did for us at the cross, that he rose from the dead, that God really cares about us, that we're a child of God, and so on and so on. The Spirit is our lawyer, the one who comes alongside of us and whispers into our heart and mind that we're forgiven that we're a child of God, that we are eternally loved, that we're a new creation, that God is always with us. We're never alone. The Holy Spirit defends us against all those false lies and accusations that we carry around in our life. It's easy for us to get sidetracked, to lose hope, to lose faith. The Holy Spirit is there to remind us that we belong to God. Paul expresses this work of the Spirit most clearly in Romans 8, 15 to 17. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy, God. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Do you see how important the Holy Spirit really is meant to be in our lives? In the last major teaching time Jesus had with his disciples, he primarily talks about the Holy Spirit. He knew he would die and would be leaving his disciples. And the most important thing Jesus could do to prepare them for this was to teach them about the Holy Spirit, that they would not be alone, that Jesus would still be with them through the presence of the Holy Spirit, that Jesus would continue to empower them to serve him in the world through them, through the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus would continue to teach them through the Holy Spirit and that Jesus would continue to remind them of how much he loves them through the work of the Spirit. Are you willing to open yourselves up to the power of God in your lives in a new way? Are you willing to ask God to fill you and lead you by his Spirit as you begin each day? Are you thanking God that you're never alone, but that God is working with you every moment of every day by his Spirit? Are you praying, come Holy Spirit, Fill me with your presence. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for all that you provided for us. You made yourself known through the scriptures and the Old Testament. And most of all, you made yourself known through Jesus as he walked upon this earth and his death and resurrection. We see the full measure of your love and grace and how you have forgiven us. And thank you now that even though Jesus is no longer with us on the earth, you have sent your spirit to be your presence presence of you and your son Jesus in our lives to empower us, to strengthen us, to equip us, to live in this world and to serve you faithfully. Come, Lord Jesus, come, fill us with your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.